0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. This morning, we're going to continue walking through together. I've been going through a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus in the first century, the book of Ephesians, and we're going to keep walking in that this morning. For those of you maybe who haven't been here, let me just frame it a little bit for you. The main idea, Paul repeats over and over. It's in a couple words, and you've probably read these words, but he jumped over them. He didn't realize how important they are. This is what he says. In talking about our relationship with God, he says it like this. We are in Christ. That is not like this theological nice thing to say. That is the truth. So the first part of this letter, he's he's talking about our identity. What that means that we literally, in reality, when we put our faith in Jesus, are united to him. Then in the part of the book that we're in right now, the last three chapters, if that's true, then... Then it should look like that. Like the living God is actually living in us. And we're living in him. So let me, let me walk you through something. I want you to feel this. Like, like it's happening to you. Okay? So it's Wednesday morning. You wake up. This is hard to imagine. But it, it's gray outside. It, it's drizzling. And you got to go to work. So you go out to start the car, and one of your kids last night was the last one, and the last thing you said was, don't forget to close the garage door. Even asked if it got closed, and the answer was yes. The reality is no. So now the car is really cold, and there's snow in the garage, but you get the car started, and it's okay. Now you're driving to work. You're driving down the highway. And in the lane right in front of you, there's a car broken down. So you need to move over into another lane. But nobody will let you in. How are we doing? Finally get in. Get to your exit. You get off. And you know what? I I just need a cup of coffee for this day. And so you stop at Starbucks. And unfortunately, the weather made them a little short-staffed and so the wait is a little longer than usual and finally you're almost there and then the guy in front of you at Starbucks, he needs his whole order remade because his mocha half-cap double frap had the wrong number of espresso shots in there and, and he can't live with that and how you doing? So you finally get your coffee, you get back in your car, you're late now, And you're heading down the last little bit to get to your job. And you stop at a light. And now the light turns green. And the guy in front of you doesn't move. Because he's texting. How you doing? If the answer to any of those questions was that you were a little bit mad or angry, welcome to being human. That's, That's what happens. And don't look at me like, oh no, that, I'm good. <laughs> the kid was like second, third grade and his school was on his way to dad's work. So dad took him every morning, dropped him off. And one morning dad had to go early because he had a meeting or something. So mom takes him to work. And they're just about to school. And he says to his mom, mom, where are all the idiots this morning? <laughs> I said, what what do you mean? Well, when dad drives, there's all these imbeciles and these idiots out here, (laughs) but apparently they're not here this morning. (laughs) We we laugh about that because it happens to all of us. But in truth, a lot of us, anger is a really painful thing. In our story because we often find ourselves at the end of the sword. So in this text, Paul is talking about, what does it look like to walk in union with Jesus? And one of the things he talks about is anger. He says this. First, he affirms anger. He doesn't say, "If by chance this would ever happen to you, just be he says, "When you get angry." Don't sin. So how does that work on Wednesday morning when you're on your way to work? And Well, let's, let's unpack it a little bit. Let me take one step back before we jump into the text this morning to where we ended last week. Paul is, is talking about the fact that this living this faith out happens in community. It happens here. And he's given to to his body all these gifts. And the gifts he's given to us are so we serve each other. And that service helps us grow up into maturity. This is the way he says it. So that the whole body might be built up until we arrive at real maturity. That measure of development, which is meant when we talk about the fullness of Christ. It's the same thing he said at the beginning of chapter 4. Walk worthy of the calling that God has extended to you. And he says, actually, the reason that this body, one of the reasons we exist is to build up a mature people. What does that mean? What does it look like when somebody is mature? We have some false notions about what Christian growth and maturity looks like. What it's not, sometimes we have the notion that people who get really mature, they become like missionaries and pastors. I mean, that's like the... Trust me, I know. There's some really immature pastors and missionaries out there. Being one of those doesn't make you mature. One of the other notions that we have is that to become mature, there's like this list of behaviors that we're not supposed to do anymore, and we're supposed to do, and if we can get that list, we become mature. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is maturity is when we live out the life of Jesus wherever he's placed us, in our house, in our work, in our church family, we live out the reality that we are in Christ I read a really cool article this week in Christianity Today written by a woman named Julie Canlis. She has recently written a book called The Theology of the Ordinary. She's doing her PhD, this is a number of years ago, and just really struggling because she's doing a PhD, but she also has all these kids running around her feet and trying to balance all this stuff and... She got to the place, she said, where she felt like even though she was studying the Bible, the Bible just kind of was dying to her because she just couldn't connect with God in the middle of this craziness. And so she was friends with Eugene Peterson. Some of you know Eugene Peterson's name. He's a pastor. She calls him and she says, Eugene, what do I do? Tell me a discipline that I can do that will help me where I am. So he said, well, what do you do every day more than anything else? What what are the disciplines that actually exist right now? She said, well, the one thing I have to do every day is I have a baby and she's got colic. So I breastfeed her, then she throws up, and then I feed her again, and then she throws up, and then I feed her again, and and that's that every day I can count on. He said, that's it. That's the discipline you're looking for. What this faith is, is not doing some, it's, it's living out the life of Jesus exactly where he put you. She said it was life transforming. She said the next months were some of the sweetest times she ever had with God while she was breastfeeding her baby. And she said, it began to occur to me that in the same way this child can't live without me, I can't live without him. That's what he's talking about when he's saying we're united with Christ. That We talked about this last week. There's basically two ideas in this letter. The first three chapters are talking about a theological idea that we call justification. That because of what Jesus did, we're legally, I say legally, like it's a legal thing that happens. We're made right with God because we weren't. But in Christ, his death and his resurrection We died with him, and and that gives us forgiveness and and opens a door to communion with him. That's what he's talking about in the first three chapters. That's what happened. But now he's talking about another idea. The word we use is sanctification. That that's who we are now, but we need to become that. And that's what this looks like. We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance and that's a really important part of our story as a denomination, as a movement. In fact, the guy who started this, that was the whole thing. He, he was a Christ follower, he was a pastor, but he's looking around and he's going, there's a whole lot of people who, who, who put their faith in Jesus and they got into this story and, and 20 years later, not much has changed. So what does it look like To be in Christ, what is the Christ life? And so, every Sunday afternoon, he would get a whole group of people together, and they would, "Let's live this thing out together." What does this look like? So, to work in this denomination, they they really push you on this point. What does it mean? How does it happen? I heard this story a number of years ago as a young pastor in Canada. And he was just finishing his ordination stuff, and he gets called in for his final interview. And they, they talked to him about this idea, this sanctification. What does that mean? How does that happen? What does God do? What do you do? And this kid comes in with like a 16-page paper. I mean, it's, he's got it. And 45 minutes, he nails it. Everybody's just sitting there going, wow. The end, one of the guys at the table said, hey, can I just ask you a question? if we would ask your wife what's it like to live in the house with you what what would she say oh he said don't do that, that would be terrible (laughs) but that's what happens a lot of the time we understand the idea but the reality how does it happen How does that sanctifying work? Well, that's what Paul is talking about. And and both of these things that he's talking about, the answer is the same. It's union with Christ. It's the fact that in reality, when you come to him, you are now united to him. And, And that's what gives you his righteousness and justifies you. But that's what also transforms us. We've been in this letter now for like three months. I keep trying to explain this, not only to you, but to myself. Because frankly, it's really hard to understand. Paul calls it a mystery. <laughs> Seriously. Explain that to me, how our life is united with Christ. Like we died with him, we rose with him someday. we're Explain that to me. I can't. It's okay, Paul can't either. So he just uses pictures. He uses metaphors. Jesus used the picture of a tree, and he said, I'm like the trunk of the tree. You're like the branches. If you're connected to me, if you abide in me, my life will pour through you. But a tree and a branch are two different things. A branch can disconnect. The two metaphors that Paul uses in this letter are, are marriage and adoption. Both of those things are beautiful images of this truth. There's a legal aspect. There's something that actually happens that makes a child that was not part of this family now part of this family. Amazing. But now the child needs to become part of the family. Same is true in marriage. It says that the two will come together and they will become one flesh. You're going, wait a minute. There's still two people. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you. But, but that's what happened. But what we often do is we hold on to the first and we don't grab on to the second. So if you're married, there's a legal document that says that in front of the state, in front of God, in front of, you are now married legally. Here's the document. It proves it. But you want to learn how to be one and to have intimacy. This paper won't actually help you. Like when your husband gets in bed at night and you go... That, that, that doesn't change anything. It, it, it's worked out. Living it out. So it's possible... To have this document, and then 30 years later, you're actually married, but intimacy, and those don't just happen. They're built. So, Paul is saying, walk worthy of who you have become. And the word he uses in chapter 4 is maturity. That's what maturity looks like. It's being built up into that. So in the text that we're looking at this morning, he outlines the signs of immaturity. What, what things tell you that the maturity has not happened? He talks about lying and stealing, unwholesome talk and bitterness. But he's not writing a list of things not to do. What he's saying is everywhere you go, God shows up because you're in him and he's in you. So when you steal, you're representing him. So he talks about those things. I wish that we could talk about all of them this morning. We don't have enough time, so I'm just going to choose one. But let, let me start with verse 20. He says to them, you learned Christ. He doesn't say you learned about Christ. He doesn't say, there's no preposition in there in the Greek. It's just you learned Christ. How does this happen? Christ. It's Christ living out his life through us. This is what he says in verse 24. Take on an entirely new way of life, a God fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. That's what it looks like. Here's how he lays it out. Verse 17 to 19, the first thing he says is for this to happen, you have to abandon your futile way of thinking. That futile thinking leads to immaturity and foolishness. Let, let me read it to you. He says this. So, I insist. I love this. He says, and God backs me up on this. That there be no going along with the crowd. The empty-headed, mindless crowd They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. You hear what he's saying? The reason that we're not transformed often is because it starts here that's what paul said in romans 12 he says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the way that you think so when you think wrongly it makes sense that you act wrongly so what he's saying what he's this is the way he puts it in the niv he says You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's not making a racial or an ethnic statement talking about Gentiles. He's he's talking about a different idea here. What he's saying is the Jews, even the ones who were in rebellion against God, they were raised in the story of God. That was who they were as a people all the time they told the stories about who God is and what his law said. And, what. and so even the ones that were far from God, they understood the story. The Gentiles, no. So the reason they lived like they did is because that's, that's all they knew. So he says, don't go along with the crowd. Lying, jealousy, bitterness, anger. None of those things are complicated. If you want to do those, just follow the guy next to you. He'll take you there. Everybody can do this. But he says, don't do that. Don't follow in the futility of of their thinking. We act wrongly because we believe wrongly. So what are some of the lies that our culture has embraced? Well, one of the lies, if if you go to high school, um, in, in this generation, is that I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is this, that if we're here, it's it's like a cosmic accident. It's like DNA plus chance, and here we are. And sorry, but that's all we got. If you believe that, it's no wonder we act the way we do. If that's it, like, that's not real hopeful of course you eat, drink and be merry like why wouldn't you or for a lot of people it just creates total apathy one of the expressions of the last generation is whatever how do you feel whatever in Facebook parlance it's WTF and don't ask me to Tell you what that means. If you don't know what it means, ask your kids. What it means is, who cares? Really. And if that's true, they're right. Who cares? But he says, you weren't taught that. You were taught Christ. That's a whole different story. That story says that we were created by a loving father we were given life as a gift and we were separated from him and, and so he came toward us in Jesus and he made a way for us to be restored to him and the day is coming when we're gonna be, full. now if that's true, oh my goodness, that, that, that's transformative. So he says, don't, the futility of thinking that we live in in our generation is vast. And we just believe stuff because that's what everybody does. And he's saying, don't do that. What are some of the other lies that we believe? Well, in our culture, we firmly believe that if you have enough material stuff and enough pleasure, that your life will have meaning. That's a lie. It's a lie. You're not going to see it on a billboard, that pleasure equals meaning. It's just the way we live. And and we actually believe that if you can just get enough, your life will have meaning. But it won't. But we keep trying. It's a lie. I was listening to a thing that Ravi Zacharias did... And he was talking about this idea, and he said that people think that the most dart-laden question facing us as Christians is the problem of evil. How is there God, and how is there evil? He said that is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is pleasure. This is what he said. He's quoting Malcolm Muggeridge. Meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. That is really poignant. If pleasure could bring meaning, then Hollywood would be the happiest place on earth. It's not. It's a lie. Our job is not to go... Uncover all the lies. Our job is just to live in what's true. And he's saying, don't the futility of don't, don't, don't. You were instructed in Christ. So first thing he says is reshape your thinking. How does that happen? It happens in the story that we've been given. The the Bible is actually a story. It's it's the story of reality, of what's actually real. And when you live in it and you live in the life of Jesus, it begins to change the way that you value and the way that you think. That's the first step. The second thing he says is, if you're going to live this union with Christ, you got to get rid of the old junk and put on new stuff. The images of, of clothing. Take off the dirty clothes and put on the new ones. This is what he says. That is no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him. You've been well instructed in the truth precisely as you have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life removed from, or a life Renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. That's the picture. Christ. If you have to do all this stuff that Paul is talking about, you can't. Because it's not behavior. It's, it's who you are. Jesus said, the problem is not the outside of the cup. The problem is what's on the inside. And and he says, that's where you learn Jesus. I I love the expression. He says, you shouldn't live like that because you learned Christ. How do you learn Christ? not? it's not a list of stuff that you learn. It's a person. How do you learn Christ? You believe. We think that believing in Christ is a one-time thing that you do. You believe that he's the Savior. You believe he died. You believe he can forgive you. You believe in Jesus. And that's true. That's how the door opens. But the way that you are transformed is you continue to believe. So when he says, forgive, you forgive. When he says, give, you give. When he says, whatever he says, you believe it and you do it. And I wish I could tell you it's easy. It's not. But the more you believe it, the more you're united to him. So he says, you learned Christ. As we walk farther and farther down this road, I wish that I could tell you that that the day comes when you don't trip anymore. Like you always get it right, but you don't. And that's okay. That's why repentance is an everyday thing. When you trip, you repent, you agree with God, and you come back. Okay, let's try to make this practical in closing. So what does that look like in practicality? Well, he talks about a number of things. I want to underline one. It's in verses 26 and 27. He talks about anger. And he says, don't invite the enemy in. That's curious. How does letting anger into your soul allow the enemy into your soul? Last week, we talked about the fact that this battle to live the Christ life, it's not just this thing that's visible, it's a battle you're fighting against a lot in this battle so he says when you allow anger and bitterness to stay in your soul you're like opening the door to the enemy and saying hey come on in hang out for a while let's unpack it this way he says verse 26 go ahead and be angry you do well to be angry But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of a foothold in your life. That's really practical. He doesn't say don't be angry. But he says "When, when you are angry, he says a couple things. Number one, anger is not evil. It's just an emotion. Emotions are really important. You don't live your life by emotions, but you do listen to them. And the way I think of it is that often emotions are like the dashboard of your soul. They're like the gauges that tell you what's going on in your soul. And so when anger pops up on the dashboard, you go, hmm, where's that coming from? So this is what he says. He says... It's going to happen. When it happens, don't sin. Don't sleep with your anger. One guy solved this. He moved to Alaska. So the sun doesn't go down. So you. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that when the sun is up or the sun. What he's saying is don't hold on to this stuff, Let, let it go. So what does that look like? Well, let, let me unpack it uh, briefly this morning. I think I might have put this on here wrong. Makes me mad just thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's unwise anger. Anger is just, it just is. But there's really unwise ways to respond to anger. Uh, Pastor Gary Goschel says there's, there's lots of ways, but he said, make it real simple, there's often spewers and stewers. There are spewers, and when they're angry, you know. In fact, everybody knows, because it just, it spews. And it flies out in words, it flies out in whatever, but everybody knows that they're angry. Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Even if you're a person who is more comfortable speaking about it. Be really... Anger is not sin, but it's literally a couple centimeters from it. Like, the door is, like, wide open. So he says, don't go through it. A couple years ago, I was doing a sermon on forgiveness, and I came across a story about a place in Dallas that's called the Anger Room. And this woman had a really good idea on how to make money... I'm uh, 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 using people's weaknesses so she opened her garage and if you were angry she invited you for a half hour into her garage and there was a sledgehammer in there and stuff and for a certain amount of money you could just go nuts well she couldn't keep up with the business so she opened a warehouse and they, they even individualized the thing what are you angry about? Is it your boss? Is it your wife? Is it your mother-in-law? Is it the 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 game you lost? Like, we'll set up an office. We'll set up a television. We'll, and then you come in the room and you pay 135 bucks and you walk in and there's a baseball bat and a tennis racket and a sledgehammer and you pick your arm and you just, you just let her rip. You, you should have... Had a check in your spirit when you realize they make you put on a helmet and pads and gloves. <laughs> Something might be wrong with this picture. Hold it up this week just to see how it's going. Two things surprised me. One is on their website there's there's the comments, you know, the the wisdom people leave at the end of a website. (laughs) The anger. Wait a minute. You're getting angry at people who are helping you get angry? That doesn't even make sense. What's tragically sad is the woman, her name is Donna Richardson, who opened the anger room last September, was tragically killed by her boyfriend in a rage of anger. Anger, if you if you don't allow the spirit of God in there, can do a lot of damage. Spewing doesn't always win the day. There are people though that act more spiritual because they don't spew. They stew. They they don't let her rip. They just they just keep it inside. They're way more dangerous. Because the day is going to come when the lid's going to come off, uh, and you don't want to be the one standing. Stewing is when you you take it and you hold it inside, and when nobody's looking, you have conversations. Yeah, when I see that guy, yeah. And you have the whole conversation in your head, and you, this is what... It comes out sometimes in passive-aggressive ways. It comes out sarcasm. My good friend Jamie Norton says, sarcasm is just anger without courage. It's hitting somebody, pretending like you're not hitting them. So, what Paul is saying is, this is about being united with Christ. The Christ that we worship, is slow to anger, abounding in love. And so if you hang out with him, it should start to look like that. So what do you do with the anger? Great question, and I love it that he says, he just says it. When you get angry, here's, here's some thoughts to maybe help you. Some anger detox. First thing is to own it. To say, I am angry when we first got married i wasn't very good at this i i grew up in a family where there was anger but everybody pretended like there wasn't so you had the idea that nobody ever got angry but so you have this idea that maybe anger is really bad and so to admit that you're angry, that's not good. So after I got married, Ellen would say to me, Why are you angry? I'm not angry. <laughs> well, if you were, what, what would it be about? I just said, I'm not angry. Your anger is yours, it doesn't belong to anybody else. There's not someone or something. No, it's your response. Own it. The second thing, I believe he's saying, he's he's, beautiful, he's just saying, when you get angry, don't sin. Second thing is articulate your anger. Who, Who are you angry with? What are you angry about? Express it. The, the, the scriptures in the Psalms invite us to express it to God. Where, where is it coming from? Usually anger, it's a secondary emotion. That means it's tied to something else. There's something else that made the anger pop up. It might be fear. Sometimes we're afraid. and Anger is just the best way to face it. Or we feel helpless or selfish. Or, and so articulate. Some of you are here this morning, you're going, Pastor, you're like speaking a foreign language. Like, I don't sit around and think about this stuff. You need to learn to listen to your emotions. Because they're talking to you from your soul. And they're saying, hey, pay attention. If you're not good at that, I've invited you to this before. I'll invite you again. Grace Church, eight times a year, they have a weekend. It's called Making Peace With Your Past. Life-changing for me. I was going through the weekend, and Jamie, the the woman who leads it, talked a lot about anger. And during the breaks, she would come over and talk to you. She she would ask me, what are you angry about? (laughs) I'm not (laughs) angry. Just leave me alone. (laughs) Articulate your anger. If it's difficult for you... um, Come on in. Carolyn's here all week. If you need somebody to talk about it, learn to articulate it. The third thing Paul says is you got to let it go. The word he uses is forgive. The cure for anger and, and unresolved anger in our souls is receiving and giving forgiveness. That's how you heal. If you have a heart attack or a heart problem... And boom, all of a sudden, oh my goodness. What's the first question you ask yourself? You go, how do I get better? What do I got to do? Tell me the medicine I need. Tell me I need help. It's a good question. But strangely, when we have soul issues, that's usually not the question we ask. What do I need to do to make this right? Usually what we do is, "Who, who did this? where is it from (laughs) no how how does this heal it heals through forgiveness let me just in closing walk us through a couple things from the New Testament about forgiveness forgiveness spiritually speaking is rarely a generalization it doesn't help to go hey if I ever did anything would you just forgive me If somebody asks you that, say no. Tell me what it is and I'll tell you if I'll forgive you. For forgiveness to come, when anger has taken root in our souls, the only way to do that is to get really specific. Identify who you're angry with. Maybe it's God. That's okay. You won't be the first one and you won't be the last. And he's okay with your questions. He really is. Bring them to him. Who, who, who are you mad at and, and, and why? Identify it. Once you've done that, ask yourself, this is what happened. This is what was done. What would it take for that to be made right? What is it that I need? Is it money? Is it, is it a, an apology? Is it a, a job? Is it, what, what, what would make this situation right? Why do you need to do that? Well, sometimes we offer to a $2,000 offense, we offer a $5 apology, and it doesn't work. You can't forgive what you don't feel. You can't. It's just words. You you got, this is what it was. And once you've, okay, so if I'm going to forgive, this is what I got to let go of. Write it down. Articulate it. Then he says, cancel the debt. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus didn't just kind of generally sort of forgive you. He forgave everything, detail by detail. He paid for it, let it go. How do you do that? Well, this is one way. If you have the grace of having the person sit down in a chair right in front of the person and look right at them and say, I forgive you. If they won't come, sit down in a chair and just say it to the other chair. There's something really powerful about letting go. And and then he says, don't let the sun go down. The case is finished. Dismiss the case. Daily make the decision to not reopen the case. Paul says, forgive each other in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. So, Anger is, giving up anger is often difficult because we have this illusion that we're in control. And anger, we get angry because we think we should be in control. And that's just a total illusion. Let it go. Let me close uh, before we gather around the table and just read you Paul's conclusion. This is beautiful. This is verses 28 to 32. This is what he says. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take that gift for granted. No. Make a clean break with all cutting, biting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. May it be so. We're going to close this morning around this table. This table is is a picture of the reality that we're talking about. Paul says that in Jesus' death we we, we actually died with him. His death is our death. And when we hold his body and the blood in our hands, we're remembering this reality and this truth. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the guys that are going to play to come. And then we will gather around this table in closing this morning. Father, thanks. Thank you for... coming after us and making a way for us not just to be forgiven but to be changed to, to live with meaning and and to look more and more like you may we look more and more like you thank you for this place, for this family that you have given us to, to grow into that together in Jesus name Amen We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmsted.org.